This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, May 31st, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Equality before the law should be a universal value, but many policymakers have a strong preference instead for delivering equity through government means. That means privileging some groups or individuals over others as a matter of law. When Fah is a senior attorney at the Pacific Legal Foundation, we spoke earlier this month in Chicago. In general, when uh, we hear in public discussions and occasionally in courtrooms, uh, equality versus equity. What is what is that? Dis- detail that distinction as best you can. Right. So the equality uh, movement, what we believe in is equality of rights, that every individual is entitled to life, liberty, opportunity as an individual. Whereas in recent years, we've seen a bigger shift towards equity. And what the equity movement advocates for is equality of outcomes, and not just equality of outcomes of broad-based, group-based equality of outcomes. They say that because you are a person of a certain racial classification, you are entitled to certain benefits just because of your race. So uh, getting to equity uh, requires some pretty substantial calculus as to who gets what, who has what, and how you get this stuff from this person over to this person. Certainly, it involves a massive amount of redistribution by the government from some individuals to other individuals on account of a morally arbitrary category, since, uh, such as a person's uh, racial group. So in past years, for example, we've seen, just as one example, we've seen a farm loan forgiveness program that was a part of the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 that said, Farmers and ranchers have suffered uh, economic losses, many of them due to COVID. And if you are a minority, any minority farmer or rancher, you will get your farm loans completely paid off and also 20% in additional benefits on top of that. And if you're a white farmer, no matter what your circumstances, you are categorically excluded from this benefit. And I think that's a clear example of the government treating individuals on the basis of their race. What was even the argument for why a program like that would have been constitutional? Uh, The argument is that minority farmers were disproportionately left out of uh, previous COVID grants. And but, you know, I think that suggests a race neutral alternative. You can you can see who has received previous farm loan relief or previous COVID grants. And you can say, well, People who didn't hadn't gotten them should be entitled um, to uh, farm uh, to to additional grants to make up for that. You know, our perspective is that the government shouldn't be distributing benefits at all. But if it does so, it certainly should not be distributing benefits on the basis of race. The way that governments tend to look at uh, equity, uh, that is, say, bank loans for mm-hmm. mortgages or mm-hmm. something like that, they look at. Uh, more so now than in the past, they look at what was the outcome and they don't really seem to focus as much on evidence for what was driving that outcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think everybody should be treated to fair standards. You know, one of the problems with the farm loan uh, system in the 90s um, was that you had a lot of disparate county administrators making their own subjective, arbitrary choices, not constrained by any factors. We're for objective factors that are uh, that are um, uh, applied equally uh, to all individuals. 
But I think what is really crude and uh, morally offensive about what the government is doing now is that it's saying that, you know, instead of some, instead of subjective factors that it's used before, it's going to use other subjective factors such as race to distribute these benefits. Right. So it's compounding a bad situation. Absolutely. So uh, in terms of challenging that and getting to a more rational uh, system in which individuals are uh, judged not by some categorical group that they happen to be a part of, part of some of their immutable characteristics, uh, what are the avenues for litigation to make that happen? Right. So the primary avenue is the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment and also the Due Process Clause of the 5th Amendment, which incorporates an equal protection component. And what those with the precedent in those sort of, you know, in cases dealing with those constitutional provisions say is that when the government uh, offers treatment to individuals, it has to treat individuals based on their individual characteristics. For example, their abilities, their aspirations, their achievements. It can't treat individuals truly based on government stereotypes, uh, on these broad racial classifications that really, you know, apply the same sort of rough treatment to individuals of all sorts of different backgrounds. We have several cases. We have five farm loan cases in which we represent 12 farmers who are categorically excluded from farm loan forgiveness for no other reason than their race. Uh, we also have cases that in which we've challenged uh, COVID relief uh, grant programs that only gave COVID relief grants to businesses that were minority-owned businesses, and we've gotten significant victories in those cases. Currently, we're challenging a New York uh, New York program that prioritizes minority individuals for life-saving COVID treatments uh, that were recently approved by the FDA. So we have a variety of those cases. To the extent that we have the government in charge of making these types of determinations, we have this a long history of the government privileging one mm -hmm. racial category above another. Um, you know, it's the, uh, the so-called original sin of America, for example, slavery. Uh, in terms of again, continuing to move toward a, a better situation where pretty much everybody has a shot at the American dream, uh, for lack of a better term. What does that look like? Uh, that looks like the government removing a lot of government-imposed barriers to opportunity. So, for example, we have a lot of cases in which we try to vindicate an individual's right, an individual's fundamental right to earn a living. Um, that right has really been relegated to second-tier status due to the rational basis test. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to litigate cases in which we show the court that these, uh, these rights are fundamental. An individual should be able to earn a living, to serve others uh, with his or her talents. Um, and, you know, other way areas in which the government can do that is remove barriers in terms of housing policies and, you know, the public school monopoly, which hurt a lot of low-income individuals, but predominantly uh, individuals uh, who are members of minority groups. One of the biggest areas where uh, racial preferences have been challenged is education from uh, universities to uh, you know, whole range of wide range of universities uh, that have uh, had race-based admissions. And then when those race-based admissions are thrown out, they come up with another sort of scheme that looks facially neutral, but practically has very similar effects. So what are, how are you challenging like that kind of racial preference? 
Yes, we're challenging um, those kinds of racial preferences using a Supreme Court case called Arlington Heights. And what that case says is that even if you have a facially neutral policy, if it was driven by a discriminatory purpose and produces a discriminatory effect, uh, it is still unconstitutional. So in other words, covert racial discrimination is just as bad as overt racial discrimination. And our cases challenging those uh, type of uh, policies deal with specialized schools like Bronx Science and Stuyvesant in New York, and also Thomas Jefferson in Virginia, in which the, um, the city or the school board uh, have determined that there are too many Asian Americans who get in these schools through objective standardized tests that everybody takes, and they have uh, rejiggered the admissions policies to either uh, de-emphasize or eliminate those standardized tests and to incorporate their preferred uh, racial balance into those schools. And we think that's wrong uh, for a few reasons. One, it's discriminatory against Asian Americans. And two, what they're doing is instead of um, leveling up to ensure that everybody has uh, opportunity to succeed, for example, with test prep, uh, with schools tailored to their needs, they're leveling down the academic qualities of the schools uh, so that you know the schools might be more uh, racially diverse, but they're certainly not preparing the students to succeed as much as the schools once did. Wen Fa is a senior attorney at the Pacific Legal Foundation. We spoke earlier this month in Chicago. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.